I have a question for you about parenting children, specifically about the end game. And so as you look at your child's life, you see a, a goal, like you're, you're standing on a soccer field and you're looking at the, the other end, at the net at the other end. That is the goal. And, and so my question for this podcast is, what is the goal for your child? Where do you want your child to end up, let's say when he's 20 years old or 22 years old, when he leaves the home for that, that final time, that sad time? What is your goal for your child? You know, what, what do you hope for him or what do you hope for her to be when they grow up? I think that most Christian parents, when they think about their hope for their children, they would say, you know, love God and, and love others. Those are the two great commandments that Jesus gave us in Matthew, Matthew 22, to love God and love others. And everything else in the Bible just comes up under that. And so that is fair to say that that is the goal. That is what you see at the other end of the soccer field. When you get to that end, I hope that you love God and love others more than anything else. And for all of you Christian parents, I do hope that that happens with your children. But I have another question, and it's really the point of the podcast. What does love God and love others mean practically? You know, sometimes we can say love God, love others, and we can kind of slap it on like a like a bumper sticker or we can put it on our T-shirt or hat or a bracelet and, and just throw it around willy-nilly to other people. But what I want to dig into is what does that mean practically in, in a real-world way, in relationships. And so I titled this podcast, Here is the Perfect Goal for Your Child and How to Do It. Now, the perfect goal is to love God and love others. And the second part of this title, How to Do It, that is the practical part that I want to focus on. So there's two things here. And they work in tandem. They work perfectly together. One, love God, love others. Great. That's the cliche. But how do you do it practically? And that is the point of the podcast. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. I am so glad that you are here. If you want to read this article, I want you to. This article is brought to you by uh, those kind people who support our ministry. I want to give a big shout out to our Mastermind students. Not all of them. Some of them. Jeff just sent in some homework today. Thank you so much, Jeff, for turning in your work. And thank you for your support of this ministry. Maureen, thank you for turning in your work as well, and, and your support too, Cece and, and Chad, and there's several, several others, and I know when you start mentioning names, well, then, you know, some people can be offended, but our mastermind students are mature, and so they are not offended. I also want to thank Eric. He's our newest student, along with Kim. Kim is a new student too, and so Eric and Kim, welcome to our mastermind program. Get that work done and get it sent in. Kim has already sent in a note saying, I'm working on it. I'm going to get it in. And so she is doing it. And Eric is about finished with block number one also. And so thank you, not just for being in our program, but uh, you are supporting our ministry financially. And it's because of people like you that allow us to float this work out freely to the world. Now, there's something I want you to think about in this article here. Again, the title is, Here is the Perfect Goal for Your Child and How to Do It. We're talking about the practical application of the two great commandments of loving God and loving others. But inside of this article, there are more than 20 
linked articles. Now, my articles are a little over 2,000 words, and so what you have here in this one article article is more than 40,000 words. That's a good size book in one article. Think about it. And so you have an awesome resource here, a parenting instruction book in this article. And that's why I want you to get it. I want you to read it. I want you to click on these links that will take you throughout our website. I want you to use it for those of you who do the work of disciple work, uh, disciple making, those of you who do biblical counseling, parents, this is for you as well. Use this article as a parenting tool. You can spend weeks in it. I've also embedded a video here. It's a little over 10 minutes. It's one of our life change videos. We have a dozen or so of those life change videos that speak on different topics. And this one here is a model for nurturing and training children. And so this life change video uh, is taking Ephesians 6.4 about parenting, and it's walking through it graphically, uh, showing some graphics, and you'll really benefit from this video. So you have a lot of material here. Take advantage of it. And as always, uh, you can talk to us on our free community forum, which is also brought to you uh, by the kind people who generously support the ministry. Here is the perfect goal for your child and how to do it. Now, if you told your child to love God with all of his heart, what would he hear? Would it sound like a bumper sticker? Would it sound like something that he had he had heard so many times from the pulpit, from the lectern, from the Sunday school class? How would he know what to do with your goal for him? Now, let's say, for the sake of argument, that your goal is for your child to become the living embodiment of Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, which is where you have the love God and, and love others as yourself verse when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And so how are you training your child to accomplish this goal practically? And again, I am think of it as a dichotomy in this podcast. On one side of the equation, we have knowledge, love God, love others. And then on the other side of the equation, we have how to apply it practically. And so with your accent mark, I want you to put your accent mark on the practical side because that is what I am focusing on. You see, there is an implication in what I'm saying here about God's God, about the role of God's Word in our lives. And the implication is knowing the Bible and living it out are two different things. Let me put my point in perspective by sharing a normal counseling situation, and I'll frame it as a question. Did you know it is rare for me to teach a counselee what the Bible says, as in providing them with Bible knowledge? For example, I could say to a husband or a wife, or I could even say to your average teenager, church teenager, you know, what are the two great commandments? And they would say something like, you know, love God and love others. And that's why I, I said it like this. Do you, you know, it's rare for me to teach a counselee what the Bible says. And the reason is that most of my counselees have been in church environments for years. They have the knowledge. Most of them, most of my counseling is not teaching knowledge, but it is teaching them how to apply what they already know about the Bible. Now, this fact 
also applies to our mastermind students as well. It applies to all of us. A need for Bible application is always the reason a person comes to me for help. They know that I'm a believer. They know that I will help them connect God's Word to their lives practically. And so if you look at knowledge and application like two silos standing side by side, the knowledge silo will always be much higher than the application silo. And so if your goal is primarily to teach your children the Bible, Bible knowledge, this is your goal, your primary goal, you're going to teach them, going to teach them that silo, well, I have a warning for you. There is a strong possibility they will be no better off than some of the adults you currently know who are struggling in their lives and relationships. Your children could very well be just like them, knowledgeable Christians, knowledgeable in the Bible, but weak in their application silo. Some uh, Your parenting goal, it has to push beyond Bible knowledge. You see, winning a sword drill can bring instant gratification, but it won't win the day in your child's future if he cannot draw a solid line from the words of the Bible that he knows to the life that he must live. The overwhelming need in our church today is the Christian's ability to practicalize the Bible into their everyday lives. Now, this notion may sound odd in light of the number of Bible studies the average church provides. And I'm not kicking on Bible studies, uh, maybe, if that is all that you're doing. Our methodologies, our philosophies and practices must push beyond merely teaching what a text says. Christians need to uh, learn how to apply a passage to their lives biblically. Now, this problem that I'm highlighting here was one of Paul's rebukes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2. This entire chapter is about these Jewish people who became Christians and they were struggling over eating meat. Their consciences were condemning them. And Paul says, you people, he talking to the other Christians, he said, y'all, y'all have knowledge, you know, that it's, this really ain't no thing. But these people, these Jewish people who have become Christians, they don't know that. And so you want to be careful with your knowledge. And so he acknowledged that they had Bible knowledge. But that familiarity with the Old Testament was not the issue for Paul. Praise God for your knowledge. He directed his challenge and his rebuke toward their inability or maybe their lack of awareness of applying the Bible practically into the lives of those new converts. He was saying that standalone Bible knowledge could lead to arrogance, and that's why we have to push beyond just knowing, in this illustration, uh, in the context of this podcast, Loving God and Loving Others, we have to know more than that. We have to know what it means practically. Paul said it can puff you up. Puffy knowledge will enlarge the ego, but it does not build up the lives of other people. And so Paul sees the moment to point them in a better way using the current meat-eating crisis as his opportunity. He wanted, he wanted more than literate believers. Paul hoped to help them become mature ones. You see, wisdom 
is the ability to apply the knowledge of your Bible in practical ways that make sense, is livable, and it builds up others. And, and wisdom really has two, found, uh, two pillars that holds up wisdom. One is knowledge and and one is application. You have again. That's your two silos again. In this case, I'm saying two pillars. It's two equal pillars that hold up wisdom. And so, an excellent equation that presents the path to wisdom is knowledge plus application equals wisdom. If you have one or the other, then you're going to be awkward. For example, if all you have is knowledge there will be an accompanying temptation to arrogance or puffy knowledge. And then on the other side, if, if all you possess are applications, but you don't have sound theological knowledge, well, you're going to be prone to subjective Christian weirdness. And we all have seen subjective Christian weirdness because it's not rooted in sound theological knowledge. And so you can go either way. Knowledge without application is puffy knowledge. Application without knowledge is subjective Christian weirdness. And so a deep and growing understanding of God's Word, pillar number one, it positions you to make the right applications of His Word, pillar number two, and that is the path to being wise. Many smart Bible people walk around today impressing us with their expansive understanding of the Bible in Greek and in Hebrew. Now, praise God for that. And we also have many biblically illiterate believers who are subjectively applying a flawed human hermeneutic, and that is not good. In fact, the smart Bible people can also be not good as well. What we need are students of the Bible who know how to practically apply theologically precise Scripture to their lives and their culture. There is a biblical maturity beyond God's Word, but is not devoid of God's Word. Paul said it this way in Colossians 1.28. He says, Him we proclaim, talking about Christ. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so the goal of Christian parents is for their children to be relationally mature believers. We want them to have a relationally mature life with Christ and a relationally mature life with others, which is really another way of saying love God and love others. I am using the word mature here with intention rather than the saying love God and love others, because I really want to add color to this idea of loving God and loving others. And in order to do that well, well, obviously, I think, you have to be mature. And so think about my tweaking of the two great commands, love God, love others. What are some of the most significant problems that you see in yourself and others? Think about yourself for a moment. Think about others, but think about them charitably, what are some of the if you could like dial the problems down in, into a word, which word would you pick to describe the relational breakdowns that maybe you have in your own life or maybe that you see in other people? Wouldn't the word immaturity be a good one? A lack of maturity 
let me give you a few examples of what immaturity looks like in relationships, and you can see why I'm picking the word maturity as really a synonym for loving God and loving others. I'm going to talk to the negative side of maturity. We'll talk about immaturity. Immature people struggle with anger. Immature people do not want to serve, but expect others to serve them. Immature people have a weak view of suffering. Immature people are self-centered. You could characterize immature people as critical and shy and stingy and discouraging and fearful and disappointed and frustrated and and many other descriptors can come to mind, and they, they all can fit into this bucket of immaturity. Now, the idea that I, you know, if you struggle with anger or if you're disappointed or discouraged, I'm not talking about an episode of any of these characteristics that I just mentioned. I'm talking about a pattern of them. All of us have experienced these things, but the mature person does not stay in any of these states. Christ was a mature human being who fully lived out the two great commandments. I want to share with you a few texts that point to our vital need to grow up into Christ's likeness or to grow up into biblical maturity. And as you hear these verses, ask the Spirit of God to help you to examine yourself as though you were looking into a mirror How well do you reflect these passages on maturity in your life? In 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Paul said, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And then in Ephesians 4, 13, Paul says, Until we all attain to the unity of the flesh, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then this beautiful passage in Hebrews 5, it goes like this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Part of Christian maturity is your ability to distinguish good from evil and live out the good things of God practically. Christ did this. He knew what good and evil were, and he knew how to live out the good in practical ways. Imagine just for a moment of being married to someone who knew the difference between good and evil and could implement good practices into the marriage relationship. Imagine if this spouse could also train the children in righteousness too, to where they could distinguish between good and evil, to where they were mature. Let me bring this back around to the children and the point of the podcast and my question that I asked you in the beginning, what is the goal for your children? Is to love God and to love others? And then I'm placing the accent mark on, okay, that's great, but how do you do it practically? And I, I, give you, I gave you a synonym for loving God and loving others, which is to be mature. And so how are you training your children 
to be mature Christian adults. Now, here's the thing. You have two decades to instill this worldview into them. You have um, 20 years is an arbitrary number, I understand. But you have two decades to teach your children practically how to love God and love others or to grow up into spiritual manhood, into Christ-likeness, to be mature. And while that is not a long time, it is way more time than what you need to disciple a person. I want you to think about this. Think about you have somebody, a friend, and you're discipling this person for 20 years. And so you're meeting with this person once a week to work through a book, work through questions, work through life situations, work through current events. But you meet with this person for 20 years for once a week to work through stuff. That could be very effective. Now think about this. How generous of God to give parents so much time to train their children in his ways. I mean, we have way more than a discipleship context where you're meeting with somebody once a week for an hour or two for 20 years. I mean, that's a lot, and that could really be effective, but you are living with them. And so when it comes to discipling kids, when it comes to parenting, time is never an issue because we have plenty of it. It is so different from the weekly meeting with a friend for 20 years. Parents get to live with their disciples. How generous of God. But there are other inhibitors. Not time. Time's not an inhibitor because you live with your disciples. But there are other inhibitors that keep us from being in effect, from being, keeps us as ineffective disciple makers. I want to list four of them. Number one, well, they are intentionality knowledge, planning, and application. Intentionality. This is inhibitor. You have to decide if you're going to be intentional in your parenting. This is a big deal. You have plenty of time. You have way more time than meeting with that guy doing Denny's for one hour a week for 20 years. But you have to decide if you're going to be intentional and your parenting, those disciples that you live with. Number two is knowledge. You must think through what it means to teach them the Bible systematically and and comprehensively. Number three is planning. You must map a plan from birth until they leave home, which evolves according to age and the child's personality. And so you have this living plan, like a living document that continues to evolve and adapts to the personality of each child. Intentionality, knowledge, planning, and then number four is application. You must assure that the Bible knowledge you teach comes with the adequate application, again, according to the age and to the child's personality. And so time is never an issue. You're living with the disciples, but you do have to determine intentionality, the knowledge, planning, and application. Now, two of the most common inhibitors in parenting models are college and extracurricular activities. 
And there doesn't have to be anything inherently wrong with either one of these two things. But too often, these parental aims hinder what a parent should be doing for their children. And I mentioned college and, and activities because too many times these things become the main things, and this idea of loving God and loving others, it sits on the back burner. Many parents have, I'll take college first, and then I'll jump into activities, these two inhibitors. Many parents have college-centered goals for their children. And again, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. But it's like the race from zero to 18 is mostly about getting them into college. These parents focus primarily on subjective measures for cultural success, you know, like making a specific income, having the right vocation, being successful. And so they look at these subjective measures for cultural success, and and they wrap that within a college goal as though college is the deliverer of these things, and and they can be college-centered in their thinking. You see, God has already told us how to think about these things, Uh, income, a job and success, whatever that means. And he rebuked us for processing life like the world does. Or in this case, he rebuked us for having Gentile-centered thinking. Christian maturity is not about seeking college, but about seeking God. Going to school or not, that's a vital question that you have to work with. But going to school or not going to school, those are... Those things are secondary to loving God and loving others most of all. If your parenting weight is more on academics than discipleship, you're making a regretful mistake. And so the college-centered family, um, that is problematic. And then the other is the activity-centered family. Sports and other activities can easily dominate the preteen and teen years. Kids can be so busy, and thus the parents are too busy. And when the frenetic activity picks up, organized, well-paced Christian discipleship goes out the window. The Christian life is methodical, intentional, well-paced, and reflective. A significant key in discipling children is slowing them down, not speeding them up. We have intentionally said no to many social activities, especially when our children were younger, because teaching our children how to become mature Christian adults was more crucial. Now, I'm not speaking of a legalistic, this leads to that strategy, because it's the grace of God that changes lives, not the best parenting practices, and so I don't want to usher this into a legalistic framework. But still, yet, we have a responsibility to parent well. And if you're not careful, your pace of life will pick up like filling a garage full of stuff. And after a while, you won't have time to disciple your kids or park your car in the garage. Children rarely lack for social interactivity. Activities will come and activities will go, and so will college. The thing that must remain is a deep affection for the Savior and the wisdom to practically live Him out in all of their relationships, especially with their future spouses and children. Let's say... If you laid your child's entire life out on a yardstick, three feet, 36 inches, their childhood would be one-fifth of a yardstick or seven inches of that yardstick. The rest of their life 
would be 28 inches. Let's say that your child lives until he is 75 years old. That is five 15-year segments. The first 15 years is childhood, let's say theoretically. The remaining 60 years is his adult life. And so childhood is one-fifth of that yardstick versus four-fifths, or seven inches versus 28 inches. Your child has about 15 years to learn how to become what he will be for the next 60 years. When do you want him to know how to be what he will be for those 60 years? Do you want to wait until he is 15, 18, out of college to figure out how to become an adult? By then, it's too late. He'll have to learn in the school of hard knocks, which is typically peer training, not parental instruction and guidance. You have 15 to 20 years to disciple your child. Let me tighten that process up even more. The first 10 years of your child's life is the cement stage when you pour your discipling into him. The next 10 years is the, the fruit of the first decade where you're trying to bring shape to what is growing. The first 10 years are unbelievably critical. Most of the people I counsel are trying to figure out how to be adults while they are adults, and they will tell you that their parents did not help them during their childhood. The title of this podcast is, Here is the Perfect Goal for Your Child and How to Do It. At the end of this podcast, there is a call to action. I have several questions for you, and if you want to dig into more practicality, then here's two things that I need for you to do. Read the call to action and to work through those with a friend, and then start hitting on these links inside of this this article, and you will find an entire book on parenting. It will take you weeks and weeks to work through. And as always, we are here to answer whatever questions that you may have. Here is the perfect goal for your child and how to do it.